2: The Osha Ginsburg Podcast. I'm Osha Ginsburg, and you're awesome for being here. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. If you're new, welcome. Glad you could be here. If uh, you've been around for a while, thank you for being around for a while, because I can only make this show because you are here. My guest today is Vitika Yidav. She's a sexual rights activist. She's a I'm happy to call her a friend. She's an exceptional, exceptionally inspiring woman. And her story is just going to uh, really, really move you, move you to act. That's all I, I'll I'll tell you more about her in a moment. Um, If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, go right ahead. Uh, You can subscribe in your favorite podcasting app. I choose uh, Opencast. Um, or Pocket Cast. Pocket Cast is, I really like Pocket Cast with the iPhone. Um, you can also subscribe in the regular iPhone podcast app. If you're on Android, you can use Stitcher, which is really good. Pocket Cast do an Android one as well. I've got that on both my phones. Um, but just subscribe. If you subscribe, there'll be a new episode magically in your phone when you wake up on Monday morning or Sunday afternoon if you are on the other side of the line, You can find me on Twitter at Osher Gensburg and, of course, you can subscribe to my mailing list. Uh, which you can sign up for at osherginsberg.com. Each week I'll send you a little note about who's on the show this week and just a reminder to uh, have a listen to tell you what else is going on. And that way is the way that you can use to talk to me. If you want to email me at all, you can just simply reply to that mailing list. I, I read all those emails and that's how you're going to touch with me. If you do feel like it though, if you, this show is working for you, you think, damn, that's an interesting thing that just got said, please share it with someone. That's all I ask. Share it with a friend that'd be awesome there's also sharing links online at com. i'm uh, in amsterdam at the moment cleanly shaven for movember which is very exciting if you'd like to donate to my movember campaign it's mobro.co slash that's where i am so at the moment I'm, I'm completely clean shaven right now Um i do miss my pirate beard already but uh you know it's only going to be a few more days and I'll be in bad teenage Zid remedy mode. And that'll be interesting. I am actually, I've returned to the school that I was going to hear the Think Institute of Creative Leadership. Sorry, the Think, Think, the Amsterdam School of Creative Leadership is what it's called. I don't know why I keep calling it an institute. It's the Amsterdam School of Creative Leadership. And um, they've asked me to come back and do a bit of work for them, which is super exciting because I love talking to people and I love interviewing people and I love having involving conversations with people and that is exactly what they've got me doing with some really really fascinating people this week so I'm really really enjoying that hopefully they're going to put some of the conversations we're having up online as soon as they are let you know what we're talking about Um, but yeah I'm working on the forum program here which is super exciting Um, but it's uh, you know I'm really grateful to travel but um, I, I left the Airbnb booking to the very last minute. So I missed out on an Airbnb and I've been staying in Airbnb pretty much since Airbnb arrived. I have not been staying in hotels at wherever possible. I've been staying in Airbnbs and man, I miss having a kitchen. (laughs) As a vegan on the road, I miss having a kitchen. Let me tell you, the breakfast buffet is not the friend of the traveling vegan, unless you like heaps of bread, just heaps of bread and also uh and if you like traveling roaming bucks weekends from the uk over here in amsterdam let's get amongst it running up and down the hallways um yeah but i'm very happy to be here i um you know talk a lot about what's going on in my brain each and every week and i try and tell you what's working for me what's not working for me um what I started doing this week is I've started, I'm trying to just to see how it works. I'm going to take it out on the road for a couple of days and see what happens. Um, I've started journaling like I'm a 15-year-old <laughs> writing sad lyrics. I just started journaling. I mean, I'm not the first person to do it, but I tried to do it for a little while there. I'm trying to get in the habit of journaling, which is basically brain dumping onto paper every morning to try and get the stuff out of my head and down on a paper and usually I find that when I put the stuff out of my head and put it down on a paper the irrationality of it tends to be a little more obvious and certainly if it does get down there I do have the opportunity to I guess reassess what it is that is actually going on in my head and maybe have an idea an easier way to rationalise it when it's down on paper rather than trying to think my way out of thinking which as I've said before on this show is a little like trying to bite your own teeth but apparently it's clinically proven to be very good for you journaling. So uh, I'll either end up with some terrible teenage poetry or a slightly uh, easier sleep at night. I don't know if you've done it, let me know. Um, you can find me as I mentioned earlier. Um, but I'm interested to know your experiences with that, but that's, you know, what I'm going to try and do, you know, because progress, not perfection, man. It's uh, it's all, all skills to try and deal with the brain I was born with. So just working on that, but yeah, so that's what's happening um, this week. That and sleeping in a very small bed in a very small room. But hey, first world problems. I was born white male and middle class. I won a lotto. I can sleep in a small bed. I'm not allergic to it. It's going to be okay. I am very, very happy to, to introduce you to my guest today. She is a very remarkable, very powerful woman, Vithika Yadav. She and I met here in Amsterdam. Um, we met at school. She is an activist she is a mother of a young son. She's a wife to a fabulous husband. And she created, among many things, something that she's very proud of and is exceptional to have a look at, a sexual education website, lovematters.in. It's a pretty much a ground groundbreaking sexual education website in India where they have a very, very conservative culture. You hear her talk about how they tackled sex ed, in her, uh, in her biology class of all the classes you think you might learn about sex ed. You, you hear her talk about that. She also talks about, um, her work in slavery and she still works quite regularly and quite actively in sex slavery and child slavery. Um, she does incredible work and she's a, she's a stunningly beautiful woman. She's not a big person, but the size of the work she does is astonishing and I'm humbled watching her work and seeing how she works. I will say there's a few trigger warnings up ahead. We do talk um, about when she has gone on rescue missions to rescue young girls, some of them very, very young, as young as eight from brothels. She talks about sexual assault, personal examples of sexual assault that she's experienced on the street in India She also talks about um, rape and uh, rape within marriage and various other things. So there are some trigger warnings there. So if you do hear us start to go down that road, just fast forward about five minutes and you should pop out the other side quite safely. Uh, But yeah. It's a tricky conversation to have, but don't worry we get to the we get to the sex and relationship stuff on the other side because she's also really, really good at that. She saved my bacon a couple of times. With just great ways and great reframings in my brain of, of how to think about relationships and, and things like that. This is a fascinating peek into life in India, particularly we start to talk about the caste system. Now, I knew about the caste system, but I've never talked to anyone so openly about the caste system and what it was like growing up with the caste system and it's absolutely fascinating absolutely fascinating and how that laid the groundwork for her work in in uh, human rights is is really interesting so this is a great conversation indeed we talk about human rights we talk about sexual rights and we even talk about your right to pleasure yes your right to pleasure so enjoy this afternoon in Amsterdam with vitica Hi, Vithika. Hello. How do you do? Good. How's your uh, beautiful Amsterdam day?
3: Oh, it's so beautiful. I just finished with my coaching, had a great lunch, and I'm here.
2: Yeah? (laughs) It's an interesting city, isn't it?
3: It's beautiful, yeah. It's interesting in many ways.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't quite know what to make of it when I first got here because, you know, as a growing up in Australia, all you hear about Amsterdam is like, you can smoke weed there. (laughs) And you get here and you're like, oh, that's like one street where all that craziness happens.
3: Imagine when I came here for the first time four years back. I was like, oh, my God, you actually have a city like that? You know, so much freedom and a completely different kind of a thought process. Um, The feel of the city is so different from what I have seen and grown up in, you know, the environment. Uh, So for me, it was like exploring a whole different world.
2: So we should talk about that. Where did where did you grow up?
3: I grew up in India. Uh, I come from a very small city in uh, from the state of Rajasthan. Uh, it's called Alwar. It's a really really small city. Uh,
2: What's really really small for Indian standards?
3: <laughs> okay, it's a let's not talk about the population, <laughs> but it's a small city. It's kind of. Um, also called the big town you know it's it's really small it's close to delhi mm-hmm. so it's um, the proximity is uh it's is helpful when you're talking about you know moving to a bigger city for education and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh but it's really small it's uh, not a very open um, society you know everything if i yeah it's more like you know when i was in school and if i would go and uh, meet a guy out in the street of course my parents would come to know about it because everybody knows everyone you know So you really can't have that space to yourself. (laughs) My. Yeah. But I I went to a boarding school, so I was sent to a boarding school at a really young age. I was three when I was sent to a boarding school, yeah. Uh, Now, of course, the rules and regulations are different. You don't have boarding schools that start um, that early.
2: Was that normal for kids to go to a boarding school?
3: Not from the city that I was in, but Mm -hmm. because my my mom's uh, father, he served in the British Indian Army. He had kind of this thing that, okay, you know, we have to send the kids to the valley uh, where you have the best kind of Mm -hmm. tradition in schools and stuff like that. So they were very focused on kind of putting in all their effort and money into giving us the best education. Mm -hmm. So that was more like my grandfather's decision, but really letting my parents kind of take that step. Okay, you have to send the kids to to a good school. Mm -hmm. And that was the same for my elder brother, for me, and then for my younger brother. So that was, a. I mean, it was quite, um, it's quite unbelievable because the, the part of the country that I come from, of, the dynamics are very different between both the genders. And of course, you know, boys are given much more preference in everything. But I grew up in a completely different environment and I have no idea what pushed my parents to give us, uh, you know, to have a completely different understanding of things and take, doing things which were so different from what the rest of the people were doing in their society.
2: Some other girls your age weren't getting sent away.
3: We were the only family actually who were sent out to study uh, hmm. in a boarding school, and my mom was working. My mom has been a teacher all her life. Uh, my dad has been in the government services, but um, yeah, it was for them. It was about just everything has to be the same for both. And yeah, my father was kind of quite kicked with the the idea of seeing you know the first female IPS officer, police officer, and he always thought when I have a daughter, she has to be something you know so that kind of inspired him a lot.
2: Wow that's so that's a a, you know it's amazing to say it but I'm going to say it that's a fairly revolutionary idea for him.
3: Yeah.
2: What were other men his age thinking were they thinking the same way?
3: Uh, No they were not sending their kids anywhere especially if it was about a choice because it it was expensive They, they were putting all their money in kind of on our education and it isn't public education in India is not is not good so you don't send your kids to public schools, you send your kids to private schools. And then this was a different league, right? Because yeah. you have to, you're sending them to a boarding school. So all their savings, all their money was being put into that. And yes, a lot of people told my parents that, uh, you know, your kids are going to, especially your girl is going to take her own decisions, which were essentially t- choosing her own partner and maybe doing stuff which, is, which she's not supposed to do and stuff like that. But um, I think my parents really kept me away from all of that. Even when I used to come home for vacations, they never asked me to kind of mingle with my extended family. I was always into my friends, just my friends and my immediate family. Like, I, it never bothered me. They never kind of let me be affected. I'm sure they must have gone through a lot. Also financial pressures, you know, sending your kids to boarding schools with both my parents being in the service class, like the middle class family. Um, it It was not easy for them, but... It didn't... You know, I only realized it at a later stage what it meant for them to take these decisions.
2: So, you've mentioned a few things in that that I'm interested to know. I mean, I grew up in the suburbs of Brisbane, Australia, white middle class. I would even say upper middle class. You know, both my parents are doctors. We had, you know, a nice, fairly comfortable life. It was nice. We had a big house. We had neighbors. We rode BMX bikes around. You know, it was pretty cool. When... I think about going to a boarding school at the age of three, though. That's uh, that's that's pretty intense. What were like? Were you in a class of only girls, or were there boys and girls?
3: No, it was a co-ed school. My parents always wanted me to be in a school with in a a co-educational school.
2: Wow. Yeah. So, so that's a that's that's a big deal in of itself.
3: That's a big positive because I was always better friends with boys than girls. <laughs> I don't know for what reason.
2: So what was it like when what was it like when you did come home for holidays and you saw other girls your age? Did you notice a difference between the two of
3: you? Huge difference, huge difference. I mean, in many ways, you know, the first time I actually um, heard from some of the girls that when they were. You know, it's a very simple thing that when they're menstruating, they actually do not, they're not allowed to go in the kitchen. They're not allowed to sleep on the bed. I mean, for me, that was unbelievable because I saw, you know, none of that happening in my
2: house. Hang on, let me just get this straight. So in the village, the town you are in, when girls are on the period, you have, you can't go in the kitchen and you have to sleep on the floor.
3: Yeah. And like with other things, like you cannot touch pickle. And in some houses, you cannot actually even touch drinking water. So there's like a separate thing for you. So for me, that was... I had never seen something like that in my house because even though uh, my parents possibly grew up in in houses where there were certain norms. I mean, of course, these were practiced. But in their house, none of this was practiced. Like my mom didn't believe in this stuff. And that was quite powerful, right? Because she was... Yeah, I mean, you're not supposed to pray, you're not supposed to touch anything that's related to whatever, the the temple and stuff, and stuff like that. I've never seen that stuff in my house, and I somehow also felt, like, a bit secluded, because, you know, everybody else was sort of different than what was happening in my house. So it was weird in a in a different way. Like, I wasn't very comfortable sharing that, you know, but, you know, in my house, this is, like, okay. Right. Because it felt like more of an accepted situation and something that girls said, "Oh yeah, you know because this because i'm uh, i am i am having periods right now, so I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that." It felt like an acceptance of a of a of something that is that you're supposed to do without sort of questioning, and it's so uncomfortable i mean it's i for me it was it was horrible to eat for me, it was about sleeping on the floor. I couldn't believe it
2: but you know I mean this is just me you know, hearing something for the first time from a culture that I'm not familiar with. I mean, that's only my reaction. I can, I can understand why this culture or tradition had been in place in times perhaps when hygiene wasn't the best. Exactly.
3: (laughs) Be rational. It was about hygiene. Now you have tampons and pads and stuff like that. You know,
2: like logic. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah. Trust me. It's, it's going to be all right. And then you mentioned one other thing that I would like to talk to you about. You mentioned your parents were in the service class. Now I've The only people that I've ever um, known to go to India are those who go on maybe like a three-month yoga or meditation thing out to the bush somewhere or my other friend Ben who, you know, went straight to Mumbai to run Nickelodeon. Um, I've never really known anyone that's kind of, uh, you know, been from there. So you mentioned the service class. Could you explain a bit about that?
3: So... um Yes, middle class. My my uh, dad's family is still rooted in a village, so he came from a class where the primary business was agriculture. And my mom's side, my uh, my grandfather was in the army, but it was very basic. It you can possibly I mean if you have to put it in um, you know middle class, but it was like sort of lower middle class. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you also don't realize when you actually get move into the second level of upper middle classes because you had the property right and. With the land prices going high and stuff like that, that you, you somehow you actually moved into the second ladder. But what was peculiar was that both my parents were working, and that actually helps you move to the second level mm-hmm. because it wasn't just my dad who was working, but also my mom, and uh, and I think uh, that helps uh, helped us move to not I wouldn't say upper middle class like right immediately, but uh, it was comfortable. It was like middle class family where you had access to sort of everything. Um, and when I'm saying everything, it doesn't mean, you know, like you ask for like whatever, but kind of Mm. comfortable living where you didn't have, I didn't have to struggle to get anything. I also partly did not realize that my parents must have struggled to get me something is because I was, you know, in a boarding school and I would just say, you know, I want this. And they would always make it a point to, to get all of us like everything. Um. I don't know if it was right or wrong, because sometimes as a parent, you also have to learn to kind of say no, Mm. uh, because I do that with my child. And I don't think I can be like my parents. (laughs) But for my parents, uh, it was a different mentality. And I've had this discussion with them. And they always say that, you know, things that we struggled for, we felt like we should be able to give that to our kids. So for them, it was a very different mindset that they'd finally moved from one level to the second level. And the reason they were working so hard was because they felt their children should get everything, like things that we could not get or we couldn't afford.
2: Mm.
3: We should make sure that or we would make Sounds sure.
2: Sounds like a fairly natural parent thing to do to make yeah. have it, your kids just have a little better than you. Yeah. Seems to be a fairly natural cycle of things did you have much experience with like you said that you were quite isolated from a lot of other aspects of uh, certainly the culture w- were you isolated from the caste system as well
3: um i didn't feel much of it because i was sort of away mm. uh, but my parents uh, i don't think they felt isolated uh, or they didn't really you know kind of uh, because they were in certain, like my father was in a good position and stuff so it is also about, you know, when you have a good job and stuff like that it is it is difficult for other people to just throw them out unless until there is something really drastic like I was sent to a boarding school but the reactions would come when I would end up doing something that they can pinpoint on my parents and say that, you know, you did this I mean, your child did this so now we cannot accept you as a part of the you know the society or the caste and stuff like that but um yeah they they didn't have to struggle with all that, but, yeah, I mean, usual stuff like oh, you your kids are staying there, and you know your your girl, and of course, you know she's going to take certain decisions which you might not be very happy with, mm-hmm. but my parents were so stern, and my mom is like she can shut up anyone <laughs> yeah she's 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 very straightforward, extremely straightforward and and um, and it was different in my house. So, I mean, usually you would say, see that if men are hanging out and they're having a conversation, then a woman would not kind of intervene and be a part of that conversation. My parents were always like sort of in a mixed group. And my mom was always a part of the, the group that my dad had and always having conversations. So, you know, for me, it was not kind of a, uh, it was an accepted thing that women take part in conversations and stuff like that. And a lot of people are actually more scared of my mom than my dad. Yeah. My dad is very polite and diplomatic. My mom is extremely straightforward. <laughs> yeah, she is.
2: Tell me a bit. I, I just don't know enough. I, I'm just. I only asked because I just don't know. Is is it more of a secular society? Is it a religious society? Does it vary on which region you're in?
3: Um, so I'm a practicing Hindu. I come from a Hindu family, but we are not very religious. Um, I, And I think it's because... If I go back to history and, you know, if I look at Hinduism as well, it started as a way of life. It was not really a religion. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, you know, it was about nature worship. You worship the sun and water and uh, fertility. You know, that was the whole concept. But how it changed over a, time, over a period was because of what people wanted to make of it, right? But I think as a family also, my parents decided to not be overtly religious and, uh, you know, not have... Rest- like, there is no concept that you have to pray every single day you do what is comfortable with you or you don't want to do anything even that's okay but we are for me it's sort of been a way of life and it it's the same with my parents but we are we are hindus you know in that society they're hindus they're they're seen as hindus um and of of a particular uh, caste so my caste if you put it in the caste system it's the third in the ladder so you have the the brahmins you know the ones who do all the um religious you know who are involved in all the religious stuff who are sort of the they know everything kind mm-hmm. of a thing and then you have the the Kshatriyas who's basically you know the ruling class and stuff like that and then you had the working class which is where, where my where my caste comes in which was the agricultural you know mm-hmm. kind of class and then you have the Shudras who basically the untouchables who do all the menial work in the society so this is how right. the society is divided and uh, and for all so there is obviously the other the first three castes can mingle with each other but the untouchables you're not supposed to mingle with them in a way but again you know you it's you while you mingle these three castes are allowed to mingle with each other in they cannot have rela- marital relationships aha uh-huh. yeah they could not, let's put it that way, because it's been revolutionary, a lot of things. I'm married in a different caste myself, so it was not easy. <laughs> it was not easy. Yeah, it was quite a struggle, yeah.
2: What What do you mean? Like, we're, who was higher? Who was and lower? My
3: husband's family is higher than ours. Wow. And
2: sorry I- sorry to come across so naive of all this stuff, but, you know, I, 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 my only experience is my experience. It's from a, a Western modern society where you know men and women would you know you do whatever you want and yeah. you you marry whoever you like and no one's really that upset about it yeah. and there's no laws or your parents can say i don't like your new girlfriend you're like i don't care she's now my fiance yeah. you know? yeah. <laughs> that's that's like,
3: really very very peculiar of that part of the world you know the whole the whole casting is so peculiar and i'm just
2: gonna shut this back door because someone's like, doing some woodwork in the back <laughs> as you would you know it's a lovely day <laughs> it's
1: a lovely day and isn't it
2: yeah. why wouldn't you <laughs>
3: Uh,
2: there we go that's
3: more like
2: it Um, so how how old were you when you you say you're three when you went to the boarding school so that's how do they introduce the idea that there are people in society that you can't go near to a kid
3: it's so it is just so obvious you know when I come back uh, when I used to come back for holidays and stuff like that you know that there's going to be a person who's going to come to your house every week usually on Sundays to to clean up your toilets and stuff so sometimes it was twice a week or once a week and and, and um, or pick up all the you know uh, the, the dustbins and the garbage and everything and uh, so there's a separate cup which is kept for them which is sort of at the boundary of the house and when you pour tea you're not supposed to touch the cup the cup is sort of kept and then you pour the tea and you know they it's basically you grew up seeing that, mm-hmm. and I, I remember talking about it with someone as well. I think um, you know it's so I was passing by. I think we kids were playing, and I actually um touched this person, and uh, my mom, she said, "Go and have a bath." and I said, "But
2: your mom whos my mom, who's so yeah. the stuff tradition, yeah. my daughter's different.
3: yeah, yeah, she's the one who said that, "Go have a bath." and I said, "But why do I need to have a bath?" And she was quiet because for her, she was not processing. It was just like, go have a bath. She didn't even think about the statement. And I asked her, you know, but why do you say that? And I think I was in eighth grade or something, sixth or eighth grade. I don't remember. And she said, I don't know. (laughs) 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 I
2: was
3: like, but why should I, why do I need to have a bath? And I used to really, really like this person. And my parents used to, they used to treat him really nice. But then that does not justify the fact that, there is something which is not nice, which is unequal, right? Um, and you know, in a way, if you're treating somebody nice, it does not mean that you're you're great because it's about equality. Yeah. And they did not get it right because that's what their system was, and that's what they had seen, and uh, apparently that's what everyone does. And if you do not do that in the community, like if you have if he would have not done that, then the other people in the society would not have accepted us, not even come to our house and have like food because we have somebody who's from a really lower caste, uh, who does sort of menial work, coming and staying in our house or doing something like that. They would never come and have food or even water in our house. So it was more like community pressure. And my mom said, I don't know, but that's what they say. Ah. But that's what. And I said, mom, mom, I am not having a bath. And she's like, well, you're actually right. Yeah, so I did not have a bath. She got my point. And the thing is, she because she had never questioned, I mean, it was sort of a taken thing. Uh, but my mum used to sit and have like two hour long conversations with him. It was a really nice relationship, but you know it wasn't equal. Yeah. But I think they got the they got the point. They got the logic.
2: Well, well and that, it seems like that moment might have been a cornerstone moment for the rest of your life, as far as advocacy yeah. goes. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I see. It's uh, if you do not stand for the rights of someone, you cannot expect anybody to stand up for you. And I think that's what education does to you why I questioned something was because I was exposed to a different world. I was exposed to a really, really mixed world. I was in a boarding school where there were possibly all religions you know so it was a different thing i did not grow up in a neighborhood or a city which had a huge muslim population and which is which can get quite peculiar but in my hostel i was exposed to different religions we celebrated all the religions together uh, all the festivals together did everything together i remember fasting for ramadan <laughs> for my friends you know christmas was used to used to be like a big thing i remember all muslim friends you know um, uh, taking part in uh, diwali festival festivities and stuff so it was different because children you know, we 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 just tend to be become whatever the society and exposes us us to do and think. But I think that was really good exposure because I was very stubborn. You know, I come across as somebody who's very shy and you know, kind of in a corner. But I can be extremely assertive. And my parents always gave me the space to kind of question and to be difficult and to be stubborn. But they always had this belief in me, belief in me that you know, um, she's always going to take the right decisions. Maybe partly because I was good at academics, you know, so they <laughs> were like, oh, okay,
2: okay. <laughs> Yeah. The,
3: <laughs> I was kind of the serious kid, but like a lot of fun.
2: So when high school was coming to a close, uh, you know, when you were you thinking about university early? Or? Oh, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I was very focused. I had like listed out, these are the two best colleges. I have to get into one of them. So I was very targeted. This is what I need to do.
2: How early did you know what you wanted to do?
3: I wanted to be a CBI officer all my life, like a oh, investigating police officer. That's what I wanted. I mean, even now, the whole idea kind of, you know, is it, it's is super exciting for me. I always wanted to do investigation, but as a, in a powerful role, you know, being a police officer and kind of doing stuff, and always wanted to be that. And I and the reason, I mean, what I studied and everything was also kind of because I wanted to be wanted to you know uh, take my civil services exam and be an officer. So. It was kind of. I was very focused. Uh, High school, I knew what I had to get good scores. Got into the college where I wanted to get in, and then, and then, you know, it. It also again, it was. um, It's. It's. You know, what's said about my college, Lady Shram College for Women, is the only thing I missed was boys. I have to say that (laughs) because for the first time I was in in an all women college and girls college, and that's sort of boring. I also feel like I connect really well with boys. So,
2: <laughs> so, but a lot of people experience uh, a new look at life once they get to university as well. Was that the same for you?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I got in there as a girl and I came out as a woman.
2: Right. Mm. What was the experience like?
3: Um, it was... Um, it was very interesting and exciting also because I moved on to a big city, like big city, big dreams, big vision of what you want to be. Uh, but it also, I also ex- started exploring opportunities, right? I mean, I, the, the the whole thing that I, I looked at women and child rights and things that are happening in the society is all the education that I got from my college and university and how, you know, different forums that used to happen in the college and different workshops. And I felt like, wow, I feel strongly about certain things. And... Um, and then, you know, this whole idea of working on human trafficking and anti-slavery came from, was a natural progression from, from my college uh, to interning with an organization um, that was working on cross-border trafficking. And then I realized, well, maybe I don't need to sit for an exam to be an investigating officer, but maybe I can I can sit for this exam as well and do pretty much the same kind of work, but from a very different perspective, mm. right? I, well, I wanted to work as a law enforcement officer but i always thought that it might be interesting how you can work with the law enforcement to change things and and maybe put it out there that human trafficking is a crime mm. and because there was no concept of human trafficking as a crime in india so the you know when i did my first project on on training the law enforcement on um, uh, on human trafficking for the first time we did um, uh, trainings in police academies um, uh, with people and uh, and then human trafficking was eventually listed as a crime and as a, as a subject that that the law enforcement is now studying in, the, in, in, in police academies
2: because hmm. when people think slaves, a lot of people when they think slaves, they think of the silent, expendable characters in the corner on a Game of Thrones episode you know they don 't think that slavery what, is, what does modern slavery look like?
3: Ah it's like uh it's something that is so obvious and yet so hidden uh it is it doesn't come across as as property in you know in, as it was earlier, but as something that is so easily available and so easily disposable, and it's just anywhere and everywhere you know it's it's hidden but it is not hidden it's that kind of a thing and I was I I couldn't believe it when I started my work on it that you know that people were actually being bought and sold as commodities like it was so easy to get into this business without in without any investment all you have to do is you have to manipulate you have to get some people you have to sell them to somebody and then the whole cycle goes on and on and on and it's so simple like the recruitment is so simple the transit was so simple and and technology has actually just made things much 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 more easier because it's a really organized nexus and I couldn't believe it that that you know when I met girls who were as young as six and eight years old, and when I went in for the first rescue operation in a red light area, and I saw them, I couldn't believe it. I felt, I felt like you know I was so privileged to be in the situation that I was in, but you know my why are my rights any different than those girls who are in that situation? I could imagine myself or any other girl in that situation. I was, I couldn't believe it. I think. That was my first exposure to that whole incident. Was made me feel like I really, really wanted to work on that issue, and it was about that. It was about people who are in your in your homes and actually realizing you're not even paying the minimum wage. You know, it is no different from slavery you, because you want to live in your own happy world that you know. Of course, they don't have anything, and I'm giving a person a job and I'm giving them this money. But if you if you kind of start looking at the fact that you're not even paying the minimum wages and they are. They're employed in your house, they work in your house, and it's no favor that you're doing to them by paying them is when you start thinking in a completely different manner in my house i obviously i mean I have to say that i I never kind of saw anybody being mistreated, and it was there was always a norm that I had to I had to show a lot of respect to people and stuff like that, but I think that was also very peculiar to my family. I saw a lot of places where where it was it was horrible, I mean, the way they were treated was horrible, but I could never look at it as at it from a crime perspective. Mm. you know it was different when i when you start everything starts to make sense that we have the laws, and this is wrong, and then there are being people you know people who are being bought and sold for so many different things, and it's happening right there. We have numbers, you know we can start to do much more research around it. The awareness needs to be there is when I felt like all right
2: i've heard um, 've heard child labor. Um, defined as if a child there's a difference between I'm just trying to see if I can nail the definition down um, that child labour is when the kid is a child child labour and what's what's the difference like a child worker is someone who's got time to go to school and then does work mm-hmm. outside of that mm-hmm. child labour is when the kid is working instead of going to school yes. and that's considered yes that's that's it so is there a similar line that you draw in in slavery
3: Yes. Yes. Because, uh, you know, when you talk about uh, child labor issues, it is about, uh, the law clearly defines what age, you know, anyone under under 14 who's employed. And the, even the industries that you can be employed in as a child worker is very clearly defined in, in the law. So when you talk about the law it's fantastic it lists out the industries also hazardous and non-hazardous in terms of where they can f- work and it would be okay and acceptable and where they cannot work like and it's completely a violation that's also very clearly defined in the child labor act
2: so you mentioned a, a rescue operation was that when you were interning or were you already
3: when i had started work
2: that's when you were already working yeah
3: that was like a, a transition like the organization that i interned with i got on board with them right after that
2: and is it like, I mean, what kind of preparation goes into a rescue operation? Do you have to like stake the place out and figure out how they, was it your investigation police officer stuff?
3: Yeah, but there is also information network which is in place. There are insiders who are there in the you know in the red light district who would give you that information. And then the protocol is that you have, you cannot do a rescue operation on your own. You have to have the police along with you. Um, but the problem is that there's a very close nexus between the perpetrators and the police, of course, because a huge portion of what you earn, a, a part of that goes, that goes to the police, right? Uh, and there's a police station right next to the red light area, so there's an entry system of every girl who's operating in whichever brothels. But none of those, um, I mean, the list, they're never, uh, I mean, the, nobody's a minor according to that list.
2: Are you going to get in trouble for talking about this? No. Okay. No. If, if 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 you no, say no, anything no. that you like, I might no, get in trouble. No, that's a fact. Just tell me and I'll take it no, out. That's
3: a fact. I'm okay. an activist. I have to be out there saying okay. this.
2: Yeah. Um, so according to the manifest,
3: yeah, no one's underage. Has to be there. Yeah. Co- I mean, you a- said
2: you pulled an eight-year-old girl out of there.
3: Yeah, that's the thing. You know, If you so go and see the, the list at the police station, you wouldn't kind of see if anybody's underage. But if you get information, then the police is obliged to actually work with you and go in there and do the rescue operation. But then you have to be extremely careful about the timing. I'm not saying all police officers are bad. But then that's a reality, right? That's a fact that, of course, there is a mechanism of bribing and getting a share. And sometimes some of these police officers have also been accused uh, of uh, taking services from these brothels. So all of that is a reality uh now the organization that needs to when they when they do the planning then we have to be extremely careful that we do not tell the police everything like 2 days before it's more like a strategic thing that you tell them like an hour before or 2 hours before and and never tell them the location then right at that point of time so there's a lot of strategy that goes into it if you're lucky to be dealing with a good police officer that you get a lot of support and sometimes it's it's not really about that it's about you know Lower level police officer, middle level police officer, high level police officer. So there's a lot of hierarchy, and how to get save the information is a big thing. You know, if 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 uh, the information is leaked out, it can be a cash 22 situation. They can do anything to the girls. They might just hide them somewhere. There was one rescue operation wherein they had. Um, so it's it's like a false wall, and and they're just tagged in because it's a small cubicle, and. Honestly, if the investigation takes in for a long time and we can't find them, they can they can also die in that because it's a false wall you would not come to know.
2: Did you get the door, op- the wall open? Yeah. How many were in there?
3: I think there were about 12, 11 <gasps> or 12 girls there. And then, uh, so it's a whole process, right? That yeah. happens. Uh, and I think protocols have been improved time and time over again. Like women constables need to be there. If the media is there with you, they're not supposed to show the faces because initial rescue operations, it was more about... Uh, just you know capturing everything and sensationalizing and how the media was reported had started to report on that but then I think with this work, the ethics were also kind of defined that mm. no, you know, you, this is the right of a survivor or a victim to not be identified by media and Absolutely. stuff like that. So we've worked a lot on that and trying to make sure that these ethics are in place. And uh, you know, there is a women constable which has, who has to be there at all times when you go in for a rescue operation. Be- they're also mishandled a lot of times when they're, they're male uh, police officers, the language that you use. Um, and nobody would actually tell you the right age. In my experience, you know, like even a 11, 10 year, a 10 year old girl would never tell you that she's 10 year old. She's like always because they have been told, you know, they have they've been told that you will not tell your real age, and if you do that, we're going to kill your parents, and you, we are we going to tell your parents that you worked in a certain place, which is why you will never be accepted, and you have to live here, you have to die here. It's a lot of trauma, so you just kind of work with your and uh, you know you have to make sure that you get the girls out and they're all sent for a medical examination mm-hmm. then unfortunately it's only in Delhi and Mumbai and big cities you have the bone age density test which yeah. can actually tell you the age but rest of the places in India they actually look at your hair here if you have hair you're considered in a your major armpit armpit you're a major if not you're a minor <sighs> so because they have to do something yeah. and that's what they do uh,
2: yeah, right. Tell me a little about what you've, now this will, I don't know how you, you know, I think about some of the things I've seen that keep me up at night. I don't, I don't know how you sleep at night. You know, you must have some flashbacks.
3: It was difficult. Honestly, when I started my career in this area, it wasn't easy, yeah. um, you know, doing the whole thing, even documenting the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so it was learning, but it was really heavy on my head, hmm. uh, like really
1: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Heavy on my head.
2: Did it feel like you were trying to hold back the tide? Like you can only do one operation a day, and if you, if you did five a day, it still wouldn't be enough?
3: Um, it felt like that, but then i also felt extremely committed to to be able to do something about it you know so i was I was also very i also started to become very positive about the fact that I wanted to work in this area and I wanted to do something and you know kind of contribute in my way, whatever i could um so I was looking at it from that perspective that this is a struggle, but then you can have many more people and many more partners join in, which is the case you know you you just have to have that synergy so i Oh, no, keep so I was, um, I felt quite uh, charged. I was emotional, but I kind of became really charged. And I also learned that I could never bring out if I'm working with them and if I'm trying to give them, get them out of the situation. Then I had to sort of put a, a really, really brave front in front of them because if you know, my emotions should not come in the way. I, the sympathy and you know, it had to be different. It had to be from from a position of power, trying to give them that power and trying to make them feel that you're not a victim, you're a survivor. Yeah. And that made it. That made me feel like I have to look really kind of strong about this whole thing.
2: I can't imagine what it would be like to have, you know, a boyfriend or any kind of romantic relationship around, like, <laughs> how was your day at work, honey? <laughs> I don't know, pulled 12 underage girls out of a brothel. Oh. <laughs> Do you want to watch a DVD? <laughs> like, that must have been really difficult on your personal difficult. life. Yeah,
3: yeah, but my friends, yeah, I mean... It was difficult, but I got a lot of support from my friends and uh, also my partner, because I think I yeah, I started dating him, yeah, we used to talk about work, he used to be quite charged about it, and you know like, yeah, this is good work and stuff like that, but I used to discuss a lot of my work with my friends, yeah,
2: yeah so you do get a chance to debrief and
3: yeah, yeah, that's super
2: important for you yeah what what did you learn about the men, and it's always going to be men who orchestrate these things? Like the guys behind this, even women, oh, really, Yep. Yeah. is it just something that they is it just an industry that they've also been in and they just learned it from their parents? Is it like that?
3: Uh, no, the dynamics are very different. Uh, so there are certain castes, castes who are traditionally sex worker communities. Right, so for them, a girl born in a family like that is supposed to kind of bring, take, uh, take on the same tradition, and this is like spread over India in different places. Uh, and then you have this nexus which has been designed and crafted uh, by both men and women in certain positions. And there have also been cases where some of, the, like, really uh, people living in some, you know, uh, posh localities and stuff are actually running a business which was this. Uh, so. Sometimes there were women who have been in a similar situation and they gradually actually become pimps go back to the communities because it's easy for them to recruit, right? And sometimes go into the families and have more like a sisterly thing and say that, you know, I'm wearing all this jewelry and stuff like that. And that's a that's a most usual thing that happens. I mean, especially in, even in Nepal, the recruitment that happens because a lot of Nepalese workers work in India. So these women, they go back to the communities and they say that, you know, I'm doing really well. Look, I I've earned so much money and you send your girl with me and I'll make sure that she gets a lot of money and she works well and stuff like that it really kind of worked in favor of this whole nexus mm. um and then you have men operating in other different ways as well you know when they go uh and when they're recruiting men in large numbers for work it's always men trying to then uh, i'm a contractor and i'm here and you know you you would get 5000 rupees every month uh, um uh, every month for this and you'll get 5000 rupees for this and this is a contract and i'm here to recruit you for this particular plant or for this particular construction site. So they're very careful. They know where who would play an important role and could be an important person to kind of deal with. Most of these women that you see sitting in the in the brothel area, so there are pimps who are, who are men who are like kind of in different locations trying to look at things, but also um, a woman who's sort of called madam sitting there and kind of doing all the transactions and stuff.
2: It sounds like, you know, it's not like Australia and America don't have a sex working industry and you see it sometimes you see that you know there's uh, women brought into the country that or you know who are you know working in in uh, brothels and things like that massage parlors and stuff like that but it doesn't really seem that they've got the leverage of this caste system to hold over their heads quite as much it seems they're really leveraging that cultural oh, yeah. thing very very hard against yeah against these people yeah boy that's tough
3: yeah it's it's difficult work. It's difficult work.
2: Um, is and you we watched a bit of it the other day. You worked on a on a project with uh, with MTV mtvexit.org, yes. I believe is where you can go to still see some of this stuff. Yes. what was uh, What was your involvement there?
3: Um, so i um, I did some work as an independent consultant. i uh, The idea was uh, to design um, a TV series. For MTV, which is sort of for and uh, the idea was that they wanted to do something, you know, which was w- with using media in India, and I saw that as an opportunity to say that okay, how about um, I use my experience and my research to design a program for MTV, which is sort of uh, MTV India, which is the viewer viewers are urban youth, right? Mm. And um, this uh, this. Um, Problem has never been seen or pitched in front of this audience in a way that they can relate uh, mm-hmm. with you know it's more like oh, it's really bad, but you know I am not somebody who's at risk, but that doesn't kind of move away the responsibility you've got to know you've got to understand certain things, so the idea was to bring on table um cases wherein somebody in the society, like you and me, did something that was important to help out that person. So it was a five-part series talking about you know, each case about sex trafficking, uh, forced labor, child labor, and uh, domestic work. So five different series uh, that focused very clearly on the exploitation that was happening in the cities, right in front of people, and there was somebody from the society who took action. Mm. and the difference it made to somebody's life mm-hmm. and you know it was the whole awareness bit and why it is important it is, it, is, it is important for you to know why and why you need to know about it and what could be your contribution and this is about like the the big society and big picture and the, the the part was also that you know we always tend to see things from the supply perspective this was an opportunity to say that you know there is a supply because there is a demand Yeah. so let's look at the demand
2: so that leads me to, you know, I, I have a, a, some people would call it a strict diet, but I have, you know, I make choices around what I eat based on where the food comes from. I don't want to support, you know, factory farming, and I don't want to support an unsustainable agriculture and things like that. Is there things that people in Western countries might be doing unwittingly that they don't realize are supporting slavery?
3: Yeah, in all parts of the world. I mean, this is, again, one crime that is sort of everywhere and um cuts across ba- uh, you know boundaries in of different countries and tourism sex tourism there's a lot that's written about it that's talked about it and, and and there are some businesses which are thriving just on this but as a consumer if you choose to not indulge in something or making sure that when you are there and because sometimes people people just tell you that you know what I did not force to have sex with someone or I did not force somebody to kind of do this for me but you know I paid for it and it was kind of that doesn't justify the whole thing because are you making a are you making a um, enough effort to know that the services that you're using are willing or not willing you know a a, a person who's sent in front of you and dressed it in a certain way and trying to kind of say that okay I'm here to spend the evening with you might not really be doing this willingly but there could be the other story to it and you would never know that right you have to kind of you really have to go deep inside and then try and figure out okay what is it am I doing the right thing or not you know it's it's a big debate i it's it's a, it's a different thing when people say um Is prostitution legal or illegal? It's a different kind of a question because I think if somebody is willingly making a choice to uh, you make money out of sexual services, it's a completely different debate because it's about one being a major, taking your own decision and trying to do something in a country where it is legal. But even in say in Amsterdam, you know there has been a huge thing about it that it's legal and there is this and there is that. But we are also getting enough reports about a lot of human trafficking going around. So it's a very difficult area and I mean as a consumer you really really have to think very very hard about what you're getting into
0: well,
2: I can,
3: what you're buying
2: I've never <laughs> I've never paid for sex and it's not to say that you know those who do are right or wrong I just I have no experience with it so I yes. and I'm not to say that sex work doesn't have its place um but You know, it does seem to me that I can see how you came into education. I can see how, like, tackling the source of the problem and attitudes towards sex, sexuality and women's rights seems – is that that how you came that way? I'm making an assumption. Is is, that's
3: that's how I – That's how you came?
2: You were like, "How how do I stop this? I'm going to have to come at it from the other side. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is what then you started the website, or you're a part of starting the website.
3: Oh, yeah, that's um actually.
2: Love, love is where it is if you want to go and check it out. It's a very, it's a very interesting sexual health website because you've had to be so careful about how you talk about these things because we're talking about a culture where, you know, in Australia or America, where a lot of a lot of people listen to this, to watch a prime time TV show at night where sex, sexuality, same sex relationships are totally openly discussed mm-hmm. it's no big deal though this doesn't really exist in in indian society oh, does yeah. it
3: um so when this project came my way it was sort of an idea at that point of time that you know this is something that um, radio netherlands worldwide wants to wants to sort of do in india and um And then I was, uh, for me, you know, I had been heavy on human trafficking and anti-slavery work, but gender rights and sexual rights had been a part of, intrinsically been a part of the work that I was doing because, you know, you cannot, when you're in the communities and you're talking about certain things, you're talking about gender issues, you're talking about sexuality and sort of other things. And I was like, wow, here's an opportunity now. This is something I also thought was very, um, very personal to me growing up as a girl child in India, you know. Uh, it's about the experiences you have every day on the street and going out and and at a, you know I also grew up thinking that oh my God it's horrible to be a girl I don't want to be a girl and you know it's just, it's just horrible I just hated the fact that you know I I was I was growing up to be a a girl and stuff like that but and that was because of the of what I experienced in the society and then to the fact that I had no education whatsoever when it came to sex like. Comprehensive sex education is a different thing. Like, no talk about it. I remember my science uh, lecture, uh, biology. You know, when we had this chapter on reproduction, and the teacher got up, and she's like, "Okay, you guys can study this at home," and uh, skipped. That was it. That was it. That was it. Yeah, and I was in a good school (laughs) 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 because there's uh, there's no concept of it. Yeah, Uh, and cross generational conversation about sex is is not sort of there it, it doesn't exist so me having a really great relationship with my parents did not mean that i could talk about these things like no no of course not you know it's so even till even now i don't think i can discuss um uh, anything about sex with my dad anything
2: even anymore. though for a living you yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> work it's in sex education they're extremely
3: proud of what i do but i think just between the two of us it's just not it's going to be really different between me and my son but it's just that That's how the relationship is. And they're really proud of what I do. It's not a comfortable thing. So really, that was an opportunity. How can we design something that is easily accessible, discreet, non-judgmental, and can be easily used by everyone to get information on so many questions that people have? And I had clearly, you know, like kind of... All the education that I had was through peer conversations are feeling shy and you know feeling shame for something aha uh-huh, it's funny blah blah blah. and that was in college like not even in school school is like no i don't want to know about it i don't want to know about it because i thought you have to be a part of a group right and this is what most of the girls were like oh no, no 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 we, not, we don't talk about that we don't in
2: the meantime that. your body is raging with hormones telling you to go and do things yeah yeah and you're these are things that you're yeah. not supposed to talk about
3: yeah yeah, Goodness. you're not supposed to talk about it. That's the thing. You're not supposed to talk about it. So for me, I think I took that as an opportunity and I was like, wow, this is the next thing that I want to do. That's really, you know, I really want to focus on sexual rights and want to start something that kind of is has not been experienced in this country before. So together with the team and I, you know, it was we were a team of four people when we started this project. Uh, I was the only one in India and three here. And we said, all right, let's create something that would... Possibly be an, an interesting and the first time, you know, kind of a tool that that gives this country a um, something that is, uh, you know, that is truly revolutionary. The idea was that we wanted to be different from from whatever was there out there. So we we talked to a lot of organizations. I you know I went and I I partnered with a lot of a lot of organizations. Said okay, this is what we are wanting to do and stuff like that and. And there was some really, really good work that was happening, you know, when you're getting people together in groups and workshops, but you know that the culture is such that people will not be very comfortable talking about things, right? And there is technology. So how can you kind of Mm. use technology and give something to people that is easily accessible? So we created Love Matters.
2: It's a long way from reading the biology book yeah. by yourself yeah. in a tent fort by a flashlight. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah, and it's funny, yeah. It's it's funny then, then standing in front of like international crowds and stuff and saying that, hey, you know what, I like sex and I like talking about sex. <laughs> and I was like, it didn't go really well with a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, like, oh, that's an Indian woman standing there and saying that. But I think, you know, when, you're, when you feel extremely passionate about something, then you have to break boundaries.
2: The only time really that, you know... I've heard about sexual relation. Well, the relationship between the sexes in, in India is when something really horrible happens. When you hear about some of the attacks that have happened on on women there, like often the news only reports when there's something sensational to report. Is that actually what it's like? Is it worse? Is it better? It's worse oh.
3: because this is only a fraction of uh, you know of um, reports that are being reported. I mean. 92 women are raped in India every single day. That's National Crime Records Bureau. And that's the thing that has been reported. So you can imagine, because there's a lot of shame attached to the whole thing, right? So you cannot even imagine the number of cases that are not reported, that are just kind of more like a hush-hush thing. Then talk about the sexual abuse that happens within the families, and that's huge. Hmm. No one talks about it. No one talks about it. Marital rape, who talks about it? How do you get those statistics? And it's not like it doesn't happen. There are enough stories that are out there. But it's you know you have to kind of think about a lot of things when you're thinking about these statistics and uh, and a lot of what happens. Sexual har- harassment is you can't even have a statistics on that. It's like you walk out on the street and what is sort of uh, you know unacceptable in certain societies, like you do not stare at people and women like this, is something that is so common in in society. Like being pinched and something is it's just kind of you know, you have to learn to shield yourself in some way.
2: So you, you grew up walking down the street having men you didn't know.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, the first time I was pinched, I was 12 years old. And I was I was in a, on, a, on a, vaca- in a, a, a vacation and I was playing in my society. You know, kids play outside. I was playing. And I cried so much and I didn't know what to do. I couldn't talk to my parents because I thought, oh, my God, my parents will feel horrible about me because I'm a girl. This is why this happened to me. Like all sorts of things. I was... I made so many assumptions, like I cannot, of course cannot talk to my parents about it. I still till date haven't spoken to my parents about that. Uh, I was so, I was so ashamed. I felt horrible and I cried so much. And there were many other incidences. Once I, I just couldn't, it was my younger brother. and, And I had, we had gone and, you know, I had that one of those scooters and I, I think I was in first year of college and I had gone to get something and he was sitting behind me. He was much shorter, of course. So you're point. on a moped. On a moped, yeah. yeah. And um, so when I took a turn towards my, towards my house, uh, there was another bike that was following, uh, following us and somehow, you know, I sensed it, sensed it you know, it, oh God, it's going to be something that is not right. We were getting close to the house and the moment we got off, there were these three men I still remember and they sort of touched me almost everywhere and I didn't know what to do.
2: And your uh, brother was there?
3: And my younger brother was there and he kind of didn't get it and he started shouting, Mama Mama, and he ran inside. And these guys just got on the bike again and, and they left. And then I went to my younger brother and I said, Don't tell Mama about <gasps> it. And I cried a lot and he didn't get it, you know, like uh, why, why, why and he basically thought that they wanted to take our money.
2: So these guys it's just totally okay for them. Totally. Yeah, it was so fun. how did your brothers not grow up doing this? What was different? Like, uh, I'm I'm assuming your brothers don't do this kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. No, I mean, it's just, I think it is, again, I think it is about education. It is about what you learn in the family of what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, and what you... Because uh, these
2: boys learned that, that it was okay from someone.
3: Yeah, 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 that it's okay. Yeah, because there's no other way, you know, why you would do that or because, or because you think it's cool to do that because you're a man, so you have more power than a woman. And uh, it... I think there's a strong influence of family when it comes to these things, more, even more than the more than what you learn in school. Mm-hmm. It's your family is what... Um, like, there's no way that my son, if my son ends up doing something like that and the ownership doesn't come on me, there is no way he can, you know, treat any woman ever uh, like that, or like whatever. So it's... Um, I think it all comes back to that. I felt horrible. I felt like it's uh yeah of
2: course i mean that's an absolute sexual assault there's no Though question it's... about it
3: so for me it was also a subject that i felt like you know uh these are better times you know, The the next generation and this generation needs to know better than i did and you know needs to there's so much we need to talk more and more about these things it's because we want to tell people that this is unacceptable and if this happens you know then you need to take action so from that experience to being in big city delhi where you know you're exposed to a completely different world, and you, go on, you get on to the bus, like the local bus and stuff. And it's stuff, and people touch you kind of all over. You're like molested.
2: You can't even like my my brain is struggling to comprehend that that,
3: oh, that is okay
2: is. in that society,
3: and you keep struggling. You know, you keep struggling, but then I stopped crying. By the time I was in Delhi I kept I stopped crying because I actually couldn't cry every single day, right? It's a part of your everyday struggle.
2: Do these, do up. you just look at these men and say don't fucking touch me?
3: <laughs> I start, I started being very aggressive. I've start, I've like hit men and like kind of been really, really upset and angry and kind of yeah, but I am also very careful about where I am. If I'm in a public place where I think I can get the support, I react. But if I know I'm in a place where I can be, you know, it can kind of be an, a situation where I can be harmed, then I'm more, much more careful about oh, that. You have to sense that as well. Although I also went through a period when I was pregnant, and I just it just didn't work for me, right? So I was like hitting men all the time, like I was just reacting.
2: You're describing a reality that so many people listening to this guy can't possibly can't possibly comprehend. That you know, pregnancy is so so revered and, well, supposed to be so revered. And here, here you're talking, you're describing, you're just walking through the streets hitting men all day. Like it happened that often. I'm just flabbergasted.
3: Oh, yeah. And I think I was really reacting. Like I couldn't control my emotions by the time I was in my third uh, trimester. Yeah, Like you touch me and you've, you know, kind of got it from me. I was just reacting all the time. So
2: how do you even start the conversation with, obviously it's a massive cultural problem society-wide, how do you even start the conversation?
3: Uh, I think what worked was uh, the fact that we use, we started using a really, really simple language and approach to talk to people. We said, hey, you know what, We let's talk about love, let's talk about sex, Let, let's talk about relationships, what are your issues? But what we also put forth was that we want to have a sex-positive approach, right? And you know, putting importance on things like consent, saying that, okay, you know, you say that, um, mm, uh, this is not, I mean, that, okay, talking about sex is sort of not a part of our culture, then are we also trying to say that rape is a part of our culture or sexually harassing someone is a part of our culture, which clearly seems so, because if it's so acceptable and you don't want to talk about it or to this, then that's, that's really what you're, you're trying to say, that it's okay to do something but it's not okay to talk about sex. So really kind of you know, pointing that out to people and saying that it is important. We got to accept it and we have the responsibility of doing something about it. It's not about me, it's about a platform that we have created to have your stories out there and at the same time have the resources out there. Have in you know all the information that you need out there that you feel free to discuss. Just open up the conversation. And And that's been the exciting part because if we would have just taken a really, really kind of a a stand that, um, you know, this is what we want to preach and tell you, but we don't want to listen to what you have Mm. to say, that would have gone in a very, very different direction. The fact that we, you know, placed our, our strategy right in terms of giving them a safe space, saying that, okay we don't know we don't want to know your names you can be completely anonymous you can access this information wherever you want in whichever way and you have the you have a platform to to put forth your stories but also to ask us questions whatever you want you know from a to z in terms of resources to kind of having interesting characters and experts answering your questions just giving the people the space and then also using the social media space to tell people you know it matters Mm. and we need to talk about it um we we have to we have to use this space to talk about other bigger issues, which are like more in a way, in a really subtle way. So it comes across as conversations about really simple things. But if you actually read the content, how it points towards injustice and sexual abuse and sexual violence is a very interesting take. But I think there is people feel like it's their spaces also because of the language that we crafted, because this vocabulary was completely missing both in English and Hindi. And I think we we got that flavor saying that, okay, you know, there's been enough research that points towards uh, more and more young people in India indulging in sex at a certain age. Do we want to be quiet about it? Or do we want to kind of make sure that people have have the right kind of information to make the right choices and be more informed about what they are doing?
2: Yeah. It seems that you only have to, you know, just have a, a glance to realize that India is, that's the new world. India and China is the new world. America and Europe will just kind of be quaint, I think um you know you just only have to look at the development that's going on in both those countries it seems that you have this opportunity in india as economically this middle class and the 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 society starts leaping forward leaping like inclusively up you have this opportunity to to have a shift a paradigm shift around this at the same time
3: yeah i think i mean uh, i think this is a really interesting time in india um there's we are we are part of a revolution. So you know there are obviously you know we 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 know that there are a lot of people who are not happy with what we are trying to do, but we are also trying to make this big shift, and a revolution has never been easy, right? Yeah. But people are coming in, people are joining in, and and um, somewhere someone somewhere. somewhere someone has to kind of start it off right it has to start somewhere and i think i mean i can just imagine you know what india could be in 2030 or 50 and how different the perspectives would be when you talk about these things because mindsets will not change overnight it's a process it is a process which would need to kind of be geared continuously it is something that you have to keep talking about and keep encouraging that is when you're going to see something you know over 30 years or 50 years and there must be yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what India would be in two thousand thirty and fifty. What the stand will be when talking about these things, and yeah, the numbers and statistics that we look at. And
2: who's who do you you said people aren't happy with what you are trying to do. Who's not happy?
3: Uh there are a lot of. Um i don't know if i can group them in a certain category mm. because it could be different age groups having a certain perspective on this thing very clearly saying that you know this is not mm. a part of our culture i know a lot of fundamentalist groups as well who are very clear on the fact that what, the stuff that we do is unacceptable it is um, against our culture uh, and um, but i think that's been a part of uh, sort of all revolutions and all struggles and um, and that's fine because uh, i think we are depending on people power we depending on the fact that we have an educated population uh, and uh, there are spaces that we need to make use of to have more and more conversations about it. And honestly, conflict works in our favor, right? Because if we have a conflict, then we are able to kind of put more importance on what we do and get the word out. But there also has to be kind of more like um, more of an international feel to this whole thing, because what we do is not only restricted to India, but it's in other parts of the world as well, in Kenya, in China, in Egypt, in Mexico. You know, difficult societies in, in different ways. But, you know, kind of more of an international pressure that, yes, it is important. It is important to talk about it. And something, you know, sex is like so basic to our lives, in every person's lives, in every part of the world. So rights have to be the same for everyone. It should be taken as, as serious human rights issues.
2: Yeah. You mentioned about, you know, India in 2030, 2050. Do you feel, do you feel positive about?
3: Extremely positive, which is why I feel extremely committed to the work that I do. I have a boy and I can't even imagine, you know, seeing a boy growing up and somebody coming and telling me, you know what, you raised an excellent boy. And I'm like, yeah, I did a good job. But I would want, you know, all the men in India to be, to be seen like that because I have had extremely positive images of men in my life, my father and then my husband. I mean know, it wasn't luck. I was clearly making the right choice. Somebody who comes from an extremely conservative family. But, see, that's what education does to you, right? And in terms of what I see him as, his his thoughts on, on issues that I work on, the kind of man he is, I feel extremely fortunate that I, I made a choice like that and who doesn't make me feel like he's doing a huge favor on me by letting me do things that I want to do or by letting me work. Because, see, that's also a problem in certain societies. and most cultures, say... You know, a, a lot of time men would say that I'm such a good man, of course I let my wife do that. You let your wife do that is, again, you know, think about it. So I don't need a man who tells me that. I, I'm very happy to be with a man who tells me that it's your life, you decide what you want to do, and I'm there with you because I support you. And likewise, it's it's, you know, for me it's equality, it's not about one up here or there. I am, I'm not talking about that, I'm talking about a world of equality, where men and women have the same rights, and it's it's about respect it's about yeah i mean it's about love it's about respect but it's about that mutual power that you have
2: i can only imagine what a world where men and women have equal rights and equal pay looks like there'll certainly be a lot less war oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> certainly be a lot less war yeah you know that 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 empowering women is such an important part of any society
3: only if you look at the economics of it also and make sense you know it's just it's extremely important extremely important
2: but i can understand you know i mean you're talking about and you described it time and again that it's it's like an indiana jones kind of boulder that you're trying to move uh, of, of history and culture and tradition and we don't do things that way here uh and you're fighting against that but i can imagine once you get a certain amount of momentum going that there's a lot possible,
3: yes, we currently have about five point three million people visitors on our website and about forty thousand people on facebook mm-hmm. you know so and the idea is to reach out to at least ten million by end of next year and um and actually, the reach is going to be much, much more, and is much, much more because we do a lot of offline stuff as well so.
2: How do, you, how do you measure whether this, you know, there's website visits, are one thing, but how do you measure if this stuff's having an effect in society?
3: Because we get a lot of uh, comments and questions on our website every single day.
2: Yeah.
3: You know, once we had this article on sexual harassment and a man wrote back saying that um, I feel horrible about the stuff that I have done, you know, I kind of got onto to women every time there was an opportunity on a bus or something and I feel horrible about it now. Yeah. So people have their testimonies. It was the first well. time
2: he had considered it as yeah. not a good thing. Yeah. Wow.
3: Conversation.
2: <laughs> Who'd have thought?
3: <laughs> virginity. I mean, they're actually interesting. See, there are things which are so. There's so many questions from men that come about that are on virginity, like how do I know that my partner is a virgin or not, and I'm getting married. But see what it points towards. When we are opening that conversation, when that when a question like that is being asked, it's a huge opportunity for you to engage with a man on why do you place so much importance in virginity, you know? It's like kind of opens up the door to have a lot more discussion. And it's been very positive for us, you know? It's it's not like people got closed or something, but that discussion has taken our work in a completely different, uh, to a completely different level, where people have asked more and more and more questions. I also reverted, you know, saying that, okay, you know, all right, I understood, and but this is also what I want to ask. And people open up without feeling that they are being judged, right? Because it's anonymous, but they're getting their questions out. And it's so important to talk to men, you know. It's not like a fight of, um, you know, for, for for equality and just saying that okay, we work with women. It's so important to have men as you know, as, uh, engage with men when, when you're talking about these issues because they are partners, right? You you cannot isolate them and work on certain issues.
2: Yeah, you. Obviously, a large part of what we're talking about is, is relationships. And uh, you've been very kind. <laughs> I've come to you. <laughs> Vithika's been very kind in consulting me, consoling and consulting <laughs> <laughs> with me um, about, about relationships. What, what are your thoughts on uh, some of the most important things that go into a good relationship?
3: Respect is extremely important. And I think communication uh, i I see that as um as something that is uh, that sets the foundation of any relationship you know if you are able to communicate with each other with honesty without any fear of you know how you're going to be judged in a relationship, then you are giving your relationship kind of the space to to grow it to a certain level you know when you see look at signs of a healthy relationship is when you say that oh you know because they're compatible what is compatibility Compati- compatibility is about being able to share with each other without any fears of how you're going to be judged and you know you might agree or disagree with me that's a different thing but the fact that we're able to communicate is super interesting and important and setting the foundations like you as You know, I think in a relationship, you've set the foundations of your relationship together. What do you think is comfortable for you? What do you think is comfortable for the other person? And making the space, you know, where you would fit into each other. You might have disagreements, but then if you want to give your relationship a chance, then you also have to see how comfortable are you uh, you making certain adjustments which... You know, and and trying to see how you're comfortable with it, right? So communication is key. You you have to communicate. You have to respect each other, and it's it's not about one, you know, uh, is is more important than the other, or trying to trying to say that. You have to understand. You have to have that space of understanding each other's perspectives, and I think that's that's very 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 important. Even you know, again, science of healthy relationship is not only to do with communication about certain things, but also if you if you think you are going through uh, certain things that you're not enjoying in a relationship right you uh, let's talk about um uh, sex drive you know and there are relationships you get to a point where you know a, a person feels like okay i don't feel as involved in a sexual relationship with my partner but it's not like i you know i don't love my partner blah blah, blah. and these can be really serious uh, serious issues but if you're not talking about it if then you're not giving the other person the space right without feeling horrible about it it's fine you know it's not like everybody has to be sexually charged all the time you know so just really kind of uh, giving the other person and the space to open up and then trying to work out the solutions together that all right I mean it's okay I don't take that personally I mean even if it's personal but it's not about me it's about any relationship you you are with the person for a really long time you, not every relationship can be on a sexual high all the time. Let's just be practical. But there, you have to do things together to kind of make sure that there is excitement and there is communication. You, you keep that spark on. So, and it all comes with communication and setting your fears apart and being very honest with each other.
2: Uh, uh, you told me this the other night at um we were at a dinner party and you told me that the other night and i i think the thing that i get the most sorry to turn this into a counseling session i think the thing that i struggle with the most is that i'm i'm so afraid of hurting someone else's feelings i often clam up and don't say things that should be said because i'm so afraid that if what i say might hurt their feelings (laughs) it's it's quite a pickle
3: um You're a good person,
2: yes.
3: (laughs) But you know what? At the end, you're actually going to hurt the other person all the more because you are fooling yourself and you're fooling the other person. It's just that. You're you're trying to be nice, but at the end, you know it's never going to be like this, right? What you truly feel is, is going to come out at some point. Why not set a foundation where there is this clarity and there is this communication right from the beginning because you're actually not hurting the person but giving the person the chance to... To you know, kind of understand you completely and your perspective completely. So it's about don't read too much into the other person's brain. Rather than give the opportunity to to let the other person say, "Hey, this is what I feel." You know, you put out your fear, and then let the other person tell you what the other person has to say. If you don't communicate, if you have the fear, then that's not an um, that I don't think that would be an honest relationship, and you would any which ways hurt each other, anyways. Oh, you're right.
2: <laughs> oh, you're so right <laughs> um, So if people want to know more They should go to lovematters.in Yes As we said before It's a website that's built um, In a very practical way It's not overt It's not It's all very You know You don't have to look at it Hiding behind a door Or somewhere There's no Very few pictures Mm-hmm. There's a few, but not too many. Um, you're not going to get yeah. busted looking at funky things. Yeah, <laughs>
3: no. I, I think everything makes sense to the title that you're going to be... You I know, think you're looking. right.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, I, when I look at all this, I, I, both my parents are doctors. I got told when I was five and I had two younger brothers and mum was like, well, this is exactly what's happening in my body and this is how. I'm um, six going, or seven, however old I was when Martin was um, conceived. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> you know, they told me. They told me everything from front to back. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. I always kind of knew. But, uh, you know, I just – I really have to thank you for being so honest about what it was – what the society is like and what and what you're trying to tackle. And I think even though a lot of people listening to this aren't in India, it gives – a great perspective on how important it is no matter what society you're in to talk about these things and particularly talk about respect and particularly talk about consent which is a very big one for me as well and pleasure and pleasure as a right pleasure as a right yes now can we talk about that
3: (laughs) it is a right really yes pleasure is a right it is about pleasure of both the partners so pleasure is a right we talk about sex as you know as a choice as rights but it's also about pleasure your pleasure is your right you should you have all the right to know about what pleasure is and to expect pleasure in a relationship both the partners
2: I've never really heard it put like that I always go out of my way <laughs> to make sure I have a fairly strict... I do everything I can to make sure there's a two-for-one policy. I do whatever I can. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you're right.
3: But imagine how many men actually think like that, Osha. It's really about... it's In so many cultures and societies, it is all about how you satisfy the man. Yeah. It's, it's never about female pleasure.
2: Right. So, yeah, fight for your right. <laughs> 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 That's a very different Beastie Boys song um, Thank you so much It's been lovely to speak to you on this beautiful yeah. Amsterdam afternoon
3: Thank you so much, I really enjoyed the conversation No
2: worries, did we cover everything?
3: I think we did
2: Is there <laughs> anything else you wanted to talk about?
3: No, I just love you a lot
2: <laughs> <laughs> And you, and I can't wait to come and visit you and your husband in Delhi Oh,
3: please do That'd be please wonderful
2: do. And I, get, I have to go to India You All have right. to
3: come
2: I'm going to take your photo, okay? Yes. All right, sweet. That's the wonderful Vithika Yadav. Isn't she great? Doesn't she have the most amazing voice? Man, what a great human being she is. Um, you can support her work by just spreading the word about her website, lovematters.in. It's, I guess, you know, you'd kind of call it the where did I come from for India, but because it's dealing and aimed at such a conservative culture, there's, there's no pictures that you know you can get in trouble for looking at but it's you know it's very clean clear simple language and um yeah if you've got any questions at all about what goes on between the sheets it's all there lovematters.in if you like the show today please do me the kindness and share it with a friend because that's the only way that I get the word out about it. If you want to know more, subscribe to the mailing list on my website. And if you want to write to me, just reply to the mailer that I send out when you subscribe to the mailing list. My other podcast is back up and running, which I'm very excited about. The podcast I do with Natalia Perez, Let Me Tell You Something. You can check that out in the iTunes store. Um, but other than that, have a fantastic week. Enjoy the first week of November. If you do want to support my terrible teenage mustache which will be arriving soon mobro.co slash osha ginsburg all money raised goes to support men's health issues because men's health affects women's health as well because if you're living with a man that's depressed or anxious or suicidal it's going to affect your life um so yeah as you know i'm a very big uh believer in talking about mental health and the importance of mental health and I'm putting my money where my mouth is or my moustache where my mouth is or just above it mobro.co slash Osher thank you so very much just a buck if you can donate a buck that would be amazing if everyone who listened to this show donated one dollar oh my god I would have about eight hundred dollars And now it's more than that but still anyway thanks heaps for listening you're ace I love you love you from Amsterdam and Actually, considering the time difference, it's probably appropriate right now to tell you to sleep well and dream of beautiful things.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, hello fresh